Babsy. I had to Babsy, do that. Babsy, top shelf. Top shelf liga. <laughs> to boldly go where no man has gone before. Hold on to your underpants. It's time for Aftershock with Steve Grillo. What up? Happy summer, everybody. Uh, welcome to another Aftershock XL. Grillo's Aftershock XL. Uh, a little rusty. It's been a couple of weeks before I've done a show. Um, I got a very interesting show tonight. I'm very excited to have the person that is standing by with me right now. But I just want to wish everybody a good summer. It's the middle of July. It's hot. It's raining. It's not hot. It's kind of crazy, the weather that's going on. The world is getting back to normal. I'm getting the flow. Shuli. Shuli Edgar, who's here standing by with me. I'm very excited to have you on my show, brother. Thank you, Steve Grildo. I appreciate Grildo, it. Grildo, top shelf, brother. Uh, thanks for having me, and welcome back. The The world has missed you. Uh, the podcasting world has missed you. You are what's needed to help us get out of this. So thank you for returning, and thank you for your service. Yeah, no, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on. You are always one of my favorite people up there. We never had the opportunity to work together, but we've always had the opportunity to hang out, and you were always gracious and kind to me. Anytime I went up there, you always went out of your way to make sure that we did something for 100 News or mm -hmm. get me involved somehow where no one else gave a shit. You always seemed to give a shit. Well, you know, you got to you got to pay your respects to the people who came before you. You know, you can't you can't uh, act like uh, you just woke up and landed in here. I I'd listened to the content you were a part of for many, many years. I know uh, the sacrifices you made for that show. And you were uh, a, a great part of that show. You, there's so many classic bits that you were a part of. I mean, the guy dedicated his first book to you. Right. Uh, right, yeah. Right, right. Where is it? I don't know how this works here. That's all right. right. We'll figure right, out. Right, right there? Yeah. You'll figure <laughs> out pointing. Good for you. Uh, and. <laughs> And yeah, and so you know, I, I I never had beef with you, and and I always, if I was in a position where, you know, if you had a gig somewhere bartending or something, uh, at that time or something you needed to plug, we I would be like, yeah, let's do a Howard One Hundred news story about it. Let's get it out there. And uh, that was always very much appreciated on my end. And you know, for the most part, when I I, I returned up that way and said hello and came up there, I was always greeted with warm respect and friendship. Except for one person, and I don't know why this person had it out for me. And I, I've said it before, and I'm not bashing anybody. Yeah, but no. JD, for some reason, just hated me. I don't know that JD hates anyone. JD hates social situations, uh, and and so you have to take into account he's uh, he's a very socially awkward guy, and you know small talk is not his thing. Schmoozing, you know, I mean it's. I don't I don't necessarily th he's never said anything to me about hating you. And I really, you know, uh, I just don't see that in him. Uh, he hates sports teams that uh, beat his teams. But uh, I don't think he hated you or maybe he yeah, did. Just, Who knows? I, I just always got this level of disdain anytime I walked in the room and he was there. And, you know, it was just like everybody was always so happy to see me and everybody. And then I got to J.D. and he was just like, yeah, what? What do you mm. want? And mm -hmm. then there was that one time where Richard Christie invited me to go watch his movie screening. I guess Richard, who I, I adore, him and his wife, I adore them. They invited me to, uh, I guess he rented out a movie theater downtown. And it was a movie that he made, I guess, before he was on the Howard Stern show. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was like, I know, he filled up the theater and it was me, 
JD and Richard like sitting together and, you know, Richard had brought a bottle of vodka that we were passing back and forth over JD. And instead of getting mad at Richard, he gets mad at me. Grillo, enough with the vodka. Mm. And I'm like, who are you yelling at? I'll, I'll smack the taste out of your mouth. Like, don't talk to me like that. Say, yo, dude, get, say it different. You know, like, I don't know, like, you're not Howard. Don't talk to me like that kind of thing. Mm. But that, that was just, you know, I'm not, again, you know, he, I know I don't know him very well. Like, I, you know, I know I've had conversations about you and your family. And right. I know, uh, you know, so much about, you know, whatever I know, I know from us talking uh, like friends. And all of a sudden, Candy the Chrome. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. I just lost my uh, screen. What the hell just happened here? I still see you. Oh, there you go. I don't know. Something just popped up. I wasn't even touching anything. But so where did you grow up, Julie? Because I, I don't know much about your past. I did find a little bit of information today, a little bit of Shuli trivia mm. from, from Mr. Tim Sabian. Apparently, you were the first person he hired when mm -hmm. he got the job at Sirius. That is correct. I was his first hire. He used to run around bragging about that to people. Um, he... You know, I I, uh, I was born in Israel. We moved to the United States when I was four, lived in L.A., uh, had a stint in Arizona for a little bit, then lived in Vegas. So pretty much all West Coast growing up. And then uh, the East Coast called. Tim called me one day and asked me if uh, I didn't know it was I didn't know Tim. And it kind of sounded like Sal. And okay. he was saying, "Can you, it was a Saturday. I was in Vegas. And he goes, can you be out here by tomorrow night? And I go, I said, Sal, listen to me. If this is a prank, I'm going to fucking kill you. And he's like, it's not Sal. It's not a prank. Uh, if I'm lying to you, you can kick me square in the nuts. He's like, just get out here. I have a problem. I can't talk about it over the phone. And I'm like, all right. So I had quit all my jobs. I was doing stand-up full-time, which meant I was making zero money. And uh, I went and asked my dad to buy me a plane ticket to New York for a one-week audition for something I didn't know. And um, and I got out there and I worked, I think, a month before they let me go home and get more clothes and come back. And then I ended up working a full year as they whittled down this news team and, and ended up getting uh, hired for the news and did that for, uh, I think, like six or seven years. And then the news went away, and then well, I became a writer and producer. I want to get to that in a second. I, I want to find out more about like when you realized you know you wanted to be in show business. When you realized you wanted to be a comedian, what was that that, that moment? Was it in Israel when you were four? Was it you know when you moved to L.A.? It was, at some it, point, well, you obviously you must have been religious. Were you Orthodox? No, no, my parents weren't religious. My parents. You know, when we came here, we we were now in the United States and we were going to my parents kept kosher, but they never fo forced us to keep kosher. They never, you know, my dad would make a cheeseburger on the grill for me if I wanted. He, you know, we could drink a milkshake with a steak if we wanted. Nobody would freak out. Uh, they they assimilated. We're here now. Right. And so um my first introduction to comedy was probably since we came from Israel, we had family that would come visit us. And since I spoke both Hebrew and English, I was like the tour guide. I was like seven years old, eight years old. And they would send me and our guests to Disneyland, to Universal. And I would be the tour guide and explain everything to them. And one day we went to Universal Studios and I see this old guy with a sandwich board sign that said, uh, insults one dollar and there was a long line of people with a dollar in their hand 
waiting to be insulted by this guy. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And I I'll stood. Do, I'll do it for free. <laughs> well, I stood by and I just watched him insult one person after another. And it was hilarious. And uh, it turns out it was Don Rickles uh, filming a bit for his. Uh, he put out a VHS special years ago. And uh, that was one of the bits in it. And I, and I watched him film it. And I was like, I, I want to do this. This looks awesome. And then I remember a Howie Mandel special I saw from Chicago. Uh, Rodney Dangerfield, young comedian special. I always loved jokes and I sucked at everything else. So it was just, uh, it was the only thing I wanted to do. I didn't, I didn't have a backup plan. Did you, did your parents give you crap about that? Because, you know, oh, yeah. uh, it's, it's most, especially uh, Jewish parents, they want you to mm -hmm. go to school, get an education, and become a lawyer or a doctor. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I grew up a flake my whole life. So now I'm telling them, Hey, guess what? I'm going headfirst into the flakiest industry of all, uh, oh, wish me luck, you know? And I remember my dad, when I told him I'm going to do stand up full time and, and I was getting to the point where I could make money doing it. Not a lot, but I needed to move back in with them, but there was a light at the end of this tunnel. I, I could see that I could do it. And I told him, I said, dad, you know, I'm, I'm quitting my job and I'm going full time in the standup. And uh, my dad put his arm on on my shoulder and he said, I have seen this movie before and the hero dies in the end. <laughs> that was that was his pat on the back for me. So I, you know, I had a chip on my shoulder to to prove me right, not to prove them wrong. Like I, I just I was like, I can I can fucking do this. At first stand up gig was where? First paid stand-up gig, or just the no, first stand-up? First, first time, little boy Shuli got on stage and told a joke. It was so, at the. And what, what was and what was the joke? What was your first stand-up like? Well, I'll tell you, it was the Laugh Factory on Sunset Boulevard in L.A. Uh, their open mic, which you have to camp out starting at like eight a.m. with all these other open micers, and they put down their names on this list, and then at like three the box office opens and they give them the list of which comics were there early in the morning. And they take 20 comics and they give you like a minute, maybe three minutes to do a set. This is my first time ever doing stand up. I'm camped out with these guys and all these guys are doing are talking shit about all these comics that I, I thought were really funny. Like they were like, Oh, Chris Rock doesn't even write his own stuff anymore. Uh, my friend opened for David Telly, blew him off stage, blah, blah. And I'm sitting here, I'm going, wow, these guys are industry. They know their stuff. Like, I thought these guys were good, but apparently I'm with comics now. These guys know their shit. Well, we yeah. all know comics are the most miserable fucks on the planet. Well, that's what happened. And I watch them go up and they all suck. They all bomb and eat a shit sandwich on stage and they all come off stage and they're and they're patting each other on the back great job yeah, great job I, no, no my favorite line is i killed last night yeah I yeah killed. crushed yeah. i crushed yeah. and so and then i realized i'm like oh these guys don't know shit about comedy some of them have been doing the open mic for 14 years and and i'm like these guys are just bitter assholes and so but whatever it was my turn i had this killer bit that i that i prepared it was um because I do, uh, I did, well, I still do, a uh, Bobcat Goldthwait impression. And I, mean, it's yeah, I love that. Uh, I'll make your glasses really wobbly. 
Yeah, see, that's exactly that's what it sounds like. Just <laughs> yeah. like that. No, I, I love Bobcat. Yeah. One of my favorite jokes is I, I'm not going to do it in an impression, but he goes, uh, "This guy's going around New York and he's he's robbing people with a screwdriver. I, how does that work? Give me your money, or I want to make your glasses really, really wobbly." <laughs> my favorite, my favorite one is he goes, uh, "I lost my job the other day." And then he's like, well, I didn't really lose it. It's just every time I go there, there's a new guy doing it. <laughs> so I go, uh, so I'm like, you know, I, I had this whole bit prepared of, of a porno scene starring Bobcat Goldway. And, uh, and right before, like five minutes before I go up, the host is like, okay, you guys are ready. You're going up this, then you're after him. He goes, and remember, it's industry, so keep it clean. And I had no idea what either of those two things meant. And my my bit wasn't dirty, wasn't vulgar, but I assumed it was too dirty for keep it clean. So I go, you know what? I'll just go up and I'll and I'll do the voice. The voice is so good. I'll just I'll crush with that. And then and then I realize, you know, when you don't have material, it doesn't matter how good the fucking voice is, you're gonna bomb. And I bombed, and I remember looking up at the red light, wait, like trying to Jedi turn it on with my mind so I can get off yeah. the fucking stage. And and it just wasn't turn. And then, like, they're talking about industry. I'm in front of 14 Swedish tourists. They don't even speak English. Uh, I don't know what industry. And the entertainment industry. You got, you know, Harvey Weinstein fucking anything that moves. And, and I got to keep my material clean for uh, industry and the only thing that got a laugh was uh in the middle of this panic my leg was shaking i was bombing so bad i i just this story popped into my head of when i was 11 and i was taking a piss and i sneezed in the middle of it and the pressure shot the piss out and i farted at the same time and i reenacted it and like eight people laughed and i looked up and the light was still off and i said fuck it if i never do this again i made eight people laugh in unison I said, thank you. Good night. And that was it. And I left and I felt like such an asshole. I hated it. But 10 minutes later, I was like, I'm coming back next week. I'm going to try it again. Yeah. yeah. I, I tried that down at the stand, uh, which moved. I don't know if it reopened after COVID, but yeah, they're open uh, again. I went on an open uh, a mic night and I didn't know the guys. I used to live up the block. So that was like the stand was my last stop before I went home. Like I'd be right. out drinking and I'd go and have a drink at the stand. And there was always somebody cool hanging out there. And the owner was super nice to me. He knew who mm -hmm. I was. And um, and you never knew who was hanging out there. But I went there and opened mic night. And I, you know, I don't remember. I know part of my routine was something about how, you know, I don't understand how they don't te televise the Special Olympics. You know, it should be like, I was like, I would watch it every, I would watch it. I just imagine the different sports like wrestling and javelin throw. And yeah. I would like, it must be pretty intriguing, I guess. And um, I sat there and I, I, no one, I was kind of laughing because I tried the jokes out on some friends and they thought it was great. And then I realized it's open mic night. Everybody's got their head down. Yeah. And they're all comedians memorizing their material before they go on. Yeah. So kind of like it really wasn't, it was just like a bunch of comedians like practicing, you know? Well, a comic once told me, he says, if you want uh, comics to laugh while you're on stage, light, light yourself on fire. Yeah. <laughs> you're not well, going to get much love from them. So I, obviously you probably were listening to the Howard Stern show uh, in, in the, like before you became a comic, were you listening back Oh, yeah. Then? Oh, yeah. No, I, I got the Channel 9 show first uh, out in L.A., 
before the radio show. And then the radio show came on and, and I was hooked. And I, I'd probably listened for like 10 years before I ever, you know, called in. Um, yeah. So is that how you started your career with Howard? You, you Were you calling in the jokes or something or? Yeah, I just uh, I wanted to contribute. I, I would write I would come up with like a game or a, qu- a couple questions for him. Or I, I had like three or four options every time I would call in and, in case I sat through a couple commercials and he wouldn't bite. So whoever was doing the phones, I'd say, hey, I want to change my thing. Like my goal was to just play ball with these guys. They got me through so many <laughs> shitty jobs and shitty times and. I loved it, you know. How, how did it start, though? Were you just like call the office, or were you waiting for someone to pick up on the listener line? No, I would. Um, I so I would call in like five minutes before six uh, to the eight hundred line because I'm a Jew. I'm not paying for that long distance. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I would and, and I would always get through, but you know. It, at first, it was just kind of dumb luck. I, I heard he was coming to Vegas for the first time, and they were going to do a show from uh, from the Hard Rock, and they were going to make bets at a blackjack table. And I and I'm like, shit, I'm going to call in, and I'm going to I'm going to see if I can make a bet with them at the blackjack table. And that's what I did. I I called in. I I and sure enough, like you know, destiny, fate. First time I dialed the number, rang. I think Benji was screening calls at the time. Put me on hold, and five minutes later, I was on the air. And ten minutes after that, I'm talking to Gary, getting the information to go make a bet with them at the blackjack table. And that was it for me. That was like now I have a job. Every time I get off work, I'm going to prepare material, and I'm going to call in, and I'm going to get on the air. And and at the same time, I was doing stand-up, too, when I wasn't working, so... I was like, you never know. Maybe one day I'll get to work with these guys or something. And and how did the Tim Sabian and what what had Tim like inspired Tim to to drag you out and and make you uh, an international superstar? <laughs> well, uh, he knew like so. A lot of my calls were based on old stuff, best of stuff. You know, I, I loved listening to the fights, and I would create games out of them. So I had a lot of knowledge on older stuff, and. So they put this news team together, the Howard 100 News, which is filled with all these real deal journalists, like the you know Emmy award winning actual news people. I had uh, Steve Langford on my show. Yeah, he's great, and, and yeah. there's so many talented people, Penny Crone, so many Crone. people there. And my, my favorite Penny Crone moment was, and I don't know if you remember this, when Howard was dropping out of the race for governor. Mm-hmm. My uncle Jamesy. Who you know was my great uncle. World War Two. He was at the Bikini Atoll when the atomic bomb was tested. He had the cancer kazoo. I don't know if you remember yeah, that. Yeah, I remember that. And, guy. and um, me and Uncle James, he had a couple of tall boys in the back, and he never knew what he was getting himself into. We just loved coming on, being on the air. Howard loved him because he was like, "Hello, how are yeah. you?" So he didn't realize that you know this guy's seventy-eight years old. He didn't. He's never been in the media. And, He's been a regular guy his whole life. All of a sudden now he's at a real live press full court press conference and we're walking down the hallway and he looks at me and he goes, holy shit. I said, Uncle James, you know, no, he's got to have a load on, understand this. So yeah, he completely draws a blank. I was like, Uncle James, don't worry, you got this, go. 
And he goes, okay. And he gets up there and they had a speech ready for him. And they're like, everything's quiet. You can hear the cameras clicking and everything. And it's like NBC, CBS, Fox, CNN, like everybody's there. And he goes, now he starts reading the speech and he's nervous. And he really wasn't good at using the cancer of Kazoo to begin with. So it sounded something like this. I remember that. <laughs> and the last thing he got out was, and now here's Howard Stern. <laughs> and Penny Crone turns to me and she goes, and she didn't really know me. She goes, this is disgusting. This is one of the worst things I've ever seen Howard do. How dare he drag that old man and do this? I said, I said Penny. That's my uncle. He's having a fucking blast. Yeah. And uh, so Penny, I then, but I I always enjoyed Penny. She was like really, really cool to me after like all that. She'd always be outside smoking or something, you Mm -hmm. know? She was my smoking buddy. Yeah. Do you you still keep in touch with her? I touched base with her not long ago. I I invited her because I did a Howard 100 News reunion episode on my podcast. I had uh, Langford, John Lieberman, and High Pitch Mike on with me. And we just told old war stories and drank and laughed. And I invited her to be a part of it. And she respectfully declined. Uh, But she's doing great. And uh, I miss her a ton. She was she was the fucking real deal, man. And and yeah, so he had all these reporters and uh, none of them knew the show like a psychotic super fan. So Tim's idea was to bring me in as a consultant. That was my job. Teach them about the show. Who's who? What's what? What's the whack pack? You know, uh, the players behind the scenes. Uh, so but after day one, I did that. And so now it was a question of how do I stay? So Where, I just, where's your yellow jacket? It's, hang, it's framed up there on the wall. Is it? Really? It? Yeah. That's so cool. Oh, I see yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that reflection. Awesome. That but classic. yeah. And the puppet. What's the puppet in the background? So when I moved out to Huntsville, Alabama, I was still working for the show and uh, I was operating the Tan Mom puppet and the High Pitch Eric puppet because I do the voices. And then I wanted to uh, they were making a Jeff puppet, but then COVID hit. So I didn't know what the status of it was. And then I found I saw this white puppet in the trash across the street from our house in our neighbor's trash. And uh, I know the guy, so I asked him, he says, yeah, my kid's freaked out by this puppet. She doesn't like it. So I looked at it, and I'm like, you know, with the right shit, that could be a good Jeff puppet. And uh, I ordered these, you know, costume glasses on Amazon. I ordered a a little kid's sling and a a cowboy hat for a pet. And uh, the total cost is like $30, and it's the greatest Jeff the Drunk puppet ever made. Nice. So, all right, so now – Howard, you know, he had this vision even back in the day when I was working for him, where he want, he had this idea. We used to talk about having this idea to create a whole big network. He wanted mm-hmm. to do, and finally he got the, that opportunity at Sirius where he could, you know, he can use all those archive things that he's had over the years, where he could develop other talent and and keep it under his name, under his umbrella. So he had, they gave him two channels, Howard 100, Mm -hmm. Howard 101. And he started to live out his dream where he was building out these networks. There was the Chuck Zito show. There was Howard 100 News. There was the intern show. There was, you know, uh, Jackie's Joke Hunt. There was, um, what, uh, with uh, Mutt, he had his show. And he was developing out all these shows and it seemed to be working. What happened? Like, what happened? Where did he, did he just like lose interest? Was it too much work for 
him, you know what I'm saying? That's why he brought in Tim Sabian to develop all this stuff, build out this network, and it seemed to be working. Then all of a sudden, everybody started getting dropping. They started dropping like flies. Yeah, I, I think a guy like him, first of all, his wheels are always turning. He's always looking for, uh, you know, the, the next idea, the next thing we're going to do, the next level. Uh, that's how he's gotten to where he's at. Plus, you have to, you know, take into account that the bigger you get, now all these people that are under your umbrella are representing you, whether for the good and for the bad. So, you know, somebody like, just for example, somebody like Mutt has a super fan roundtable show. Let's say something bad goes down and Mutt's involved in that, not on the show, outside of that show, outside yeah. of the work. Let's say something yeah. happens. Mutt's in the news for something. Yeah. And now the first thing they're going to do is attach Howard's name to Mutt's uh, incident or whatever the fuck yeah. happened. And I think that became, you know, the bigger he got, that became a serious concern. And I, I get that to a certain extent. Um I think maybe it just got old for him. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was just new people in his life told him, you don't need this. Maybe it ran its course. I know he felt that way about the news, like the Howard 100 News kind of ran its course. It was really? done. Because it's constantly, but it's just, it was just such a cool way to, if you didn't listen to the whole show, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you played those clips of like, oh, today on Howard, if you didn't listen, you know, it was like a great way to get people to, if they didn't listen, to actually go, wow, I'm going to go back and listen, or I'm going to wait for it to be replayed because I want to hear that. Sure. And I don't understand how that, like, I, don't, I get the thing with the other shows, and he's protecting himself and his, and, his, and his brand, but for the Howard 100 News, like, that was, like, kind of kept people, okay, or, or sometimes you don't have the ability to listen to the whole show. Right. And it was, like, great to get little bits of, like, you know, the highlights of what happened that day. No, I, I listen, I love doing the news. It was our own show throughout the entire day. It was, it's how I learned to edit audio. It's how I learned to interview people. Uh, and it's all because of the people I worked with. These, these professionals that did this their whole lives, uh, they were kind enough to, to teach me some shit while I was there because, you know, I showed up with none of those skills. I was just telling dick jokes for a very meager living. So, to, to be able to learn a, a skill set up there and be a part of that. It was great. But, you know, I, um, I definitely enjoyed being a part of the show, you know, more than I did the news, uh, being able to be in studio and work puppets and, and make, you know, the so, crew laugh is, uh, is what I've always wanted to do. What was, was there an official, okay, guys, the news is, uh, it's done. We're finished. Or was it just like a, a, a like a fadeaway? No, no, that, that, no. It was it, well. I mean, listen. When I when I came in there for my one week audition, there was like twenty something people on the news team. And then throughout that year that I worked, we ended up with uh, Lisa, Steve, Ralph Howard. That's uh, that's I had that. Ralph Howard is the one I I, I interviewed, not Steve Langford. My bad. Ralph Howard uh, and I believe High Pitch Mike, and that's four. And then myself is five. Um, and and I don't know, you know, Penny was there toward. Uh, but then once they whittled it down to the finals, it was just you know, myself, Langford, Lisa. And then Langford left. Lieberman came in. Uh, Ralph left, got his lung transplant. We have Mike Hambrick come in. Like all these people 
jumped in and out and and uh it just one day they were just like hey it's done you know and and they came to me and they were like uh you know they're interested in, in you being a writer and producer and i said absolutely and and that was it and then everybody just said were they were they let go or did they leave i believe they were let go yeah yeah okay and I, I don't know high pitch mike was always a sweetheart i i really enjoyed that kid's uh like spending time with him it was just at least from what i know he was always just like seemed like a uh a guy who got the shit end of the stick and just oh, wherever that the... he went I, that's what hold I, on. I, I just hold on hold on there you oh, go. did i say a joke that i don't know about <laughs> yeah high pitch mike you got the shit end of the stick <laughs> i got you so now um they uh they 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 bring you on you know he's they, gay right mike yeah 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 Oh, because like, I, I didn't yeah, know. I didn't I, know. I forgot for half a second. Then when they shit into the stick, I got it. So, well, I didn't I, know till he blew me for the third time, yeah. and I was like, "This is totally gay, dude." <laughs> yeah, you bet. You, you better uh, you know, reevaluate your life after this third <laughs> blowjob. <laughs> so, uh, so now, I your job was obviously you didn't have to. You can do your job remotely. Yeah, I was. We we, we all were, you know, and. Uh, you, you, you and, changed and, your life. You moved. Yeah, I mean, where it got to the point where I knew. Look, I knew when they sent us home, we weren't going to be back in that building for a long time, and uh, and then it became you know work from home, and then home around us started falling apart. The neighborhood changed. The people changed. Everything got. Where, fucking, where were you living? I was in Astoria, and we we're we we're in a really nice spot. I mean, we'd been there ten years. Uh, uh, we loved it out there, but literally overnight. The whole area just completely changed. There were a ton more homeless, uh, break-ins, attempted break-ins. Um, just it got really bad. People were throwing shit into our yard from a, a fucking balcony in an apartment building across the way, like you know, shit that could kill my kids if it hit them in the head. Jesus. And I was just like, "What kind of life are we living here?" And I, I checked with management and said, "Does it matter where home is if we're working from home?" And they said, "No." So then it became, you know, finding a place to live. And and we saw what we could be living in for what we're paying in Astoria uh, here in Huntsville. And and so it was a no brainer. Once we found the house, we uh, yeah. we jumped on it and they were they were fine with it. Um, and well, so that's been a bit of a culture shock, though. No? Yeah. But you know what? I mean, you know this better than anyone. Um you know, working, working at that job, it's not, it's not just a job. Like it's your, it's your life. You, there are people that work there, give everything to that show. And that, yeah. and that is what's expected. And that's what you do. When I was there, it's what I did. But well, it's for me, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, for me, the pandemic changed everything for me. I stopped going on the road. I stopped going into the city five days a week. And now I'm home with these people that I barely fucking see that, that I have hours of interaction with a week. And I'm like, why, why, why is that? Because I've, I've put them number two and number three behind number one, which is work. And when we came out here, everything in my life had reached a peace of mind except work. I, I wasn't happy I didn't, it, it didn't feel the same for me. 
I wasn't enjoying it. I have no beef with any of the people there. I just wasn't, ha- it was just time to go. It was just time for a change. I wanted to try something on my own. I've always wanted to. And I felt like we're in the right place right now where uh, mentally I'm in a good place to fucking, to give this my all. And and uh, thankfully my wife is amazing and supports me and we haven't looked back since, man. It's It's been well, great. Now, I, I, uh, I sort of left, you know, because uh, I wasn't getting the support. You know, I, like it was, it was an awesome job. You know, it's something. It, it's not work when you do what you love, and I love doing sure. what I was doing. But then it just got. I was there long enough to the point where you know I need to earn a living for what I'm doing because everybody else around me is making hundreds of thousands, if not hundreds of millions of dollars, and I, I was not given the support or even the inkling of. Oh, we're going to take care of you. It was like, no, tough shit. And it came from Chiasano, but you know. Well, I know, you know, you know who it really came from. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it came from JD. JD hates (laughs) you. That's why. (laughs) Luckily, JD wasn't there because if it was, I would have gotten fired for beating the shit out of somebody. I think you um, hate JD, is what I'm picking up from this discussion uh, more than he hates you. I don't, I don't, it's not that I hate him. I, I, he's the only person up there that treats me with disrespect. Right. And I'm all, all right. about like I'm not you know you know uh, I'm coming back in August if I see him I'm gonna fucking talk to him I'm gonna give okay. him a little how's your mother all right yeah, don't well, you worry you know, about he's, it he's not high pitched Mike I didn't ask him to suck my dick all right well so, uh, you know but uh, he I just I never felt I got the res- like I just I, I don't need respect like again I don't need you to suck my dick but just being like hey what's up man how you doing not like why are you talking to me mm. you know so yeah um. He's a snob. He's a he's a snobby cunt. Uh, I was just trying to be nice earlier. I've hated yeah. that kid my whole life, and I will continue to hate him. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So I, but so yeah, everybody's, you know, the big question was, you know, uh, on all the fan networks and shit like that is, did you left amicably? Uh, yeah. Know, it, was, it was a handshake. Thank you for your time. Uh, and you know, I, I know he's in the the mindset of not bringing anybody back. Right. That was that worked on there. You know, it's all about moving forward. Right. And um, so is that is there ever a possibility that they would like have you on to do something or it's just thank that, you that's on, I mean, that's on them. I you know, I originally uh, I told I told Howard when I left, you know, we talked and, and I said, if there's anything you guys ever need from me, don't hesitate. I, I it was very important for me to leave on good terms. Uh, number one, because I wouldn't have this ability to leave and do this on my own if it wasn't for him giving me this opportunity. I, I went from, you know, having zero baseball experience to being drafted by the Yankees, you know, yeah. and and that and that just doesn't happen to everybody. So I, I truly appreciate that. Um, and, you know, I, I, w- I want for my future, I don't want people to be like, oh, this guy leaves and and then shits all over the guy that helped him get to this point Uh, that doesn't benefit me uh, as a human much less as as uh, possibly you know employed somewhere down down the road by somebody else or working for another company so it was awesome that we got to talk it was awesome that i got to thank him he thanked me we we had a good conversation and yeah and and it was important that i left on good terms i'm glad i did i i did uh when i left but you know it's like I, I don't. I'll, I'll never badmouth him personally because he was always extremely nice to me. Could he have helped me out more than he did? 
Absolutely 100%. Could he have gone to Tom Chisano and said, pay this guy a livable salary and give him health insurance? Yes, he could have, but he didn't. So when people ask me a question about what happened and I give them the honest answer, other people portray that as me bashing Howard and that's just not the case. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, uh, sometimes the truth hurts, you know, and, and that's that's on them. That's not on you. You're not yeah. you're not renting a plane and writing it in the fucking sky. If people ask, yeah. you give them the truthful answer. But, but, they, but personally, he was always respectful, kind, pleasant, especially not just to me, but I never seen him be uh, like that to any other staffer, at least not to their face uh, or unless it's on the air, of course. That's another story. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing my father never understood. He's like, my father, what do you have to say this for? I said, Dad, because you don't understand. And he goes, we'll be right back after these words. And he turns off the mic. He turns to me and goes, wow, that was a great, that was great. So my dad can never understand that. He always get upset. I was like, Dad, sure. he's like, well, off the air, he's really, really nice, you know? And so it was just, it was like a hard thing to, for people to understand. But like, especially like, and you've been around them in public situations. People, at any time someone came up to him in the elevator or we were outside, he would always sign everything. He was always, please, thank you, how are you? Especially at his book signings. Like, you know, he made sure everybody got his book signed and he made sure everybody uh, got their book signed. And he looked mm-hmm. everybody in the eyes. Mm-hmm. He looked mm-hmm. everybody in the eyes and he said, what's your name? How are you? And it, how many people were at those book signings, Shuli? I mean, they, they, people. I mean, there was more than that. Uh, there's some places it was, uh, you know, into the tens, maybe twenties of thousands of people. Uh, and nobody had had a turnout like that for book signings other than Never. fucking rock bands doing some shit. Not you even. Know? When I remember when he had the first book signing, I think it was on Sixth Avenue at the Barnes and Noble. And I was walked over with Stuttering John because there was this weird traffic thing going on. Because And, and it turned out it was because they, they had to shut down 6th Avenue between 55th and 54th Street because the amount of fans went from both sides of the street. Yeah. That's how many yeah. people turned out, and it was just, like, mind-blowing. Yeah, I remember the fans. day the day he left K-Rock, just people hanging out of their windows uh, on the street, just the, the, the street packed all the way for four or five blocks. Like, it was just – it was insane. It was like Woodstock in the city. Yeah, I was, was, I was there. I, I was there for, I was one of the last guests on terrestrial radio. It was me, Sam Simon. I remember his parents are up there. Yeah. I don't know why they had me. And, uh, but it was like, cool. And, um, he, uh, he was just, uh, it was just like a weird day. Cause like I got to meet Sam Simon, which was cool as hell, but I know people hated him in the business, but he just happened to be really nice to me. And I remember walking over and going to the hard rock cafe and it was such a surreal day. So, all right, real quick. Uh, favorite guest who was your favorite like what was your favorite guest um i'm you know i i i'm biased i'm a comic guy so i love when when comics come in and talk shop and tell stories um you know seinfeld's always great very opinionative uh and and i like that uh rob schneider was a great guest he had so many great comedy club stories jay thomas one of my favorite guests oh i ever. felt bad he was a good friend of yours yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was the guy that probably taught me the most when it came to radio up there. Uh, I, I met me, him. I met him one time up there, and he was like super nice. He he, he uh, is one of the most uh, underrated uh, broadcasters, actors, just all around solid dude, man. Uh, the story about him was, I guess he before Howard got to K Rock, I guess he was like the morning guy. 
It, that happened but, in a few places. Yeah, <laughs> but, happened. But I, guess, I guess, you know, because like in the office, remember that if you hit star 80, you can be on like the the, the, the whole office can hear like, you know, like, Rillo, come to this print. Yeah, office, you know, intercom. Like, yeah. yeah the, and uh, I guess Jay Thomas, like, his last day when he found out Howard was coming in and he was leaving, apparently gave some speech uh, <laughs> burning the bridge. <laughs> he was, he was, I mean... I pitched him a Larry David type show that he should do where it's just him burning bridges because it's every story is just him pissing off some producer, some director, some actor, and and he somehow always landed on his feet. And he was such a great broadcaster, man. He he was so underrated on the radio. Um, and I, I felt like – I feel like over 15 years I was able to work with Howard Stern, Jay Thomas, and Scott Farrell, three of the most original people in ever to be on radio. So uh, I, I try to take away from each of them as much as I can. Yeah, uh, I know Jay Thomas because I was uh, a child and a big fan of Cheers. I didn't know he was a broadcaster. I just knew him as Carla's husband. But yeah, I remember he- I remember going to school in L.A. and he was on the radio in L.A. when I was in junior high school. Uh, on Power 106 in, in Los Angeles. And so I remember seeing his billboards in L.A. And, and like, it's just wild how life works where, you know, here I am listening to this guy on the radio and, you, you know, 30 years later, I'm on the radio as a sidekick. Like, it's just yeah. wild. Didn't he burn the bridges over at Cheers as well? That's why they wrote him off or? Oh, yeah. He was on the radio in L.A. talking about how, how terrible it was to kiss uh, uh, Carla. And, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and how ugly she was and and then next oh thing you know God. yeah next thing you know her her cheers husband gets killed in a zamboni accident yeah. and that was the end of jay's guy oh yeah yeah eddie lebeck eddie lebeck yeah uh your favorite moment that stands out like when you like it's like at the top of your head like uh, for me it was the uh Artie roast um i had you know i've I literally months before this, I'm watching all these killers on Comedy Central, these professional comics, Colin Quinn, Geraldo, Lampanelli, uh, DiPaolo, just destroying people. And now I'm in the studio with them doing my own roast jokes. And I had one joke that was like, if it could land, it would be the joke of the roast. But it, it all hinged on Artie buying into the setup. And uh, and the joke was, um, uh, I go, Artie's movie Beer League is coming out September 8th. And he interrupts me and he goes, no, it's September 5th. I go, oh, I'm sorry. That's when it's being pulled out of the movie theater. <laughs> and, and the whole place blew up. And I'll never forget, <laughs> I look over and Howard's got his mouth wide open. And he just goes like this, oh, you hooked him. And I just yeah. started doing the fish. And yeah. that to me was like, plus all the fucking hijinks after this Sal Duncan Richard's head or Richard Duncan Sal's head in the toilet, Sal putting the breathalyzer up his ass and then in Richard's mouth. Like it was just, oh, it was I, Animal I, House. It was Animal House. Yeah. It's probably my favorite moment up there was that moment. Uh, did, did, did you end up with Artie on a good, on a good note? I think so. I, I, you know, we didn't, uh, nothing ended badly. We always, when I saw him up at Sirius doing other shows, we'd always say hi. We'd always talk. Um, I haven't heard from him in a while, which I always say is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, I think the less, um, you know, 
he's involved with social media right now, the better. I still send him messages from time to time, uh, just letting him know uh, I'm supporting him. I love him and, uh, and I'm wishing him all the best. Yeah, I, I, I text his manager, and uh, apparently his manager, she says he sends along his wishes and stuff. Uh, I do know someone that spoke to his sister recently, mm-hmm. and that he's, he's two years sober and he's doing well. That's great. That's great, yeah. man. If there's ever a guy you root for, it's that fucking guy. Yeah, uh, he was so kind to me when I got out there. He explained to me right away, listen, you're stand-up, but you're not going to make as much as the other guys on the show because they got more airtime, and don't get pissed about it. Just you know, wait, hit your spot when it's time to hit it. But, you know, just know, I know you do stand up. I know you're a comic. It may not reflect in the paycheck, but that's airtime equals money around here is basically what he said. And he was right. And it was, it was great to get that uh, little schooling from him beforehand. Yeah. uh, He's always been nothing but good to me. I guess I'm his favorite impression. Yeah. And uh, so I, it's uh, I'm I'm sorry to be on the phone, but I'm trying to coordinate this wonderful opportunity and why you're here today. Because uh, I'm uh, I, one of the most uh, in fact, it's been going viral on TikTok is Miss Elegante, and um, mm. apparently she's in a fight with the uh, Uber driver right now. Oh, so, nice to yeah. see some things we're, haven't we're, changed. We're gonna get a nice spicy Miss Elegante. I'm trying to. She's gonna. You're gonna interview her up on my roof. Yeah, um, sure. It's overlooking Times Square. And I'm trying to coordinate this for you because uh, she's been on fire lately. Apparently, okay. she got like a million hits on TikTok or something. So, well, I mean, and- why don't we do this when she's ready? Uh, and the sound's going to be okay up there on the roof? I'll be able to... Uh... Yeah, no, it'll be fine. Trust me. It's better that she's out there screaming than in my apartment screaming. So <laughs> <Okay>. uh- <laughs> It's like I'm interviewing a wild badger. Yeah, uh, pretty so- much. Let's do this. Why don't you text me when she's ready for launch? Okay, I'm glad I can do this for you. Uh, she she does have a show on my network, Miss Elegante's World. But we've been, you know, this whole transition period. I'm trying. I'm in the process of possibly getting back. To her the transition that, or your no, transition? No, no, my transition into yeah. insanity dealing with her. Gotcha. Uh, you know, she she's um she's very specific, mm. and you know, and she has to have everything proper. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, she's pulling up in a second. Okay. So I want to. I definitely want. I want to do this for you, and I want to thank you for coming on my show. My pleasure. Uh, what, 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 tell everybody what's going on with you, where they can find you, what's going on, blah blah blah. Here's what's going on. Uh, the Shuli Show is my podcast. You can sign up if you want to directly support. You can sign up on Patreon. Uh, the Shuli Show. If you want to listen um, when the episodes come out. They come out uh, every week, two episodes. Um, uh, the Shuli Show on iTunes. Uh, the Shuli Show uh, on Twitch, uh, Shalom Shuli TV, social media, Shalom Shuli. The website is Shalom Shuli. And uh, I'm going to be in New York um, starting August 7th. I'll be out there. I got a show with Jackie. I'm doing the 15th Where? Uh, in Middletown. In New York? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. I, dude, I, my, my place upstate is five minutes from there. I'm going to bring a shit ton of people. Bring it. Bring it. Yeah, I'm gonna, it's my first time. Post- well, it's my first time ever working with Jackie on stand up. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Um, oh, I, I, I'll bring a shit ton of people to that show because the campground I, is like 20 minutes away. 
Awesome. Uh, I'm in Atlantic City uh, earlier that week. I'm in Royersford, PA as well. I'll be in the city doing spots, probably in New York Comedy Club, my my lovely home club that I miss dearly, and uh, and then jumping on people's podcasts and stuff. So Shalom Shuli, hit me up. DMs are wide open. Cool. I will definitely have you back on to talk about the show with Jackie and um i at twitter and everything like that every i'm sure you it's all shalom shuli yeah it's all shalom shuli everybody yeah. can find me steve gorilla on twitter uh grillovator on instagram i'm on tiktok uh as grillovator now i just i guess you have to join tiktok these days is uh i'm, what's I'm going fighting on. So, i'm and, fighting it i'm fighting it yeah i'm still holding you know, out it's, it's kind of like quick little videos it's kind of cool uh, it's like Breaking weird- Bad. It's like Breaking Bad. Everybody, you gotta watch. You gotta watch. You gotta watch. You know what? You know when yeah, I watched yeah. it when everything was available for free on Netflix. Jew Power. Jew Power. I never. I never watched Seinfeld until after until the reruns. For Se- right. Seinfeld and Friends. I've never. I well, Friends. I never watched an episode. Yeah. Friends. Because I would. That was just like. But they were like my uh, on purpose. Uh, you know, no show. Mm. I refused. I refused those shows. I refused to watch it. Mm-hmm. But I was mad mm-hmm. at myself after I got into Seinfeld because I'm like. This shit's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, it happens every now and then. We're wrong, but it doesn't yeah, happen I was, often. I will, I, will, I will admit it on uh, Seinfeld. I was completely wrong. <laughs> All right. Well, let me know when Her Highness is ready. Yeah, Her Highness is on my roof, and we're gonna do it from there. And I'll. Uh, I emailed uh, you know, the link, right? Yeah, yeah. My producer has it. Okay. So going up there, okay. and uh, we'll do it from there. All right, buddy. Sounds good. Right, I'm so gonna jump in now. Thanks a lot, Jules. I appreciate it. You've always been a good friend to me, and uh, let's stay in touch, pal. Absolutely, Steve. Good seeing you, pal. Yep, you got it. Bebzy. I had to Bebzy, do that. Bebzy, Dobjelf. Dobjelf, Liga. <laughs>